Amen. Can we give the Lord a praise offering today? Awesome. Awesome. All right, you can have a seat. Baptism weekend, can I hear it? So we have about 33, 34 folks that are being baptized uh, that we that we know of, and uh, every time we do baptism uh, services, we have folks that uh, make the decision in the midst of the service to get baptized. We had a couple of folks that did that uh, in the first service, just awesome, and, and I just want to say uh, to someone that maybe that's sitting out there that maybe even thinking about this, maybe been wondering about this, and uh, whatever it is has kind of kept you from doing it, and, and maybe you almost signed up and, and didn't. Um, it, it's not. It's not too late. That if God kind of taps you on the shoulder and says, uh, "Today is the day," um, you as and we'll give some instructions when we go out. But uh, you can go out. There, we got all the stuff for you: t-shirts, shorts, towels, everything that you need. You don't have to go home wet. You can go home dry and uh, and follow the Lord in water baptism. So. Uh, yeah, just think about that, pray about that, be open to that. Uh, some of you are going, yeah, but when I get baptized, it's like there's someone that I really wanted to have here. And, and I would just say that if there's someone like you're thinking about, uh, just text them right now, and it'll be a great conversation. You'll just text them and say, hey, I'm getting baptized. And they'll go, that's awesome. When did you decide that? And you'll say, right now, in the service. And they'll say, that's awesome. Like, how could I see it? And you'll say, on our website, like you can watch it online. And they'll say, awesome. And then they'll go, why are you texting in service? And you'll say, it's awesome. The pastor said I could. And so, so anyway, just let them know. And uh, it's gonna be fantastic. So lots of stuff that's happening in the life of our church. We want you to be aware of it. Uh, so watch these announcements. Hey Fairfax, we have a couple of quick announcements for you. First of all, if you're new here, if you wanna join a group or you wanna serve with us, meet us out in the lobby, we would love to meet you. I started serving here in the coffee shop and then I moved up to a barista and now I am the coffee shop manager. I would love to meet you, come and get some coffee from me. October 10th is Child Dedication Sunday and we're so excited. If you didn't get a chance to dedicate your child back in August, you can do that on October 10th. Just register online or email Fairfax Kids. So there are so many amazing songs to worship to out there, and we only get to do a couple every single weekend. But last week, we started our Exodus series, going through an amazing book together. And Fairfax Worship has put together a playlist of songs to go through as we walk this journey together. You can find that playlist at fairfax.cc worship, or you can find it by searching Fairfax Worship on Spotify. A couple of weeks ago, we started a relief fund for both Afghanistan and Haiti. And this week, we got an update from one of our partners in Haiti, Maquette from Teach Haiti. So take a look at this. Hello, FCC. My name is Maquette McMahon. I am the founder of Teach Haiti. I would like to take this time to thank you from the bottom of my heart on behalf of our board of directors, the parents, the students. I thank you for your prayers. On July, we lost our president. On August 14th, a major 7.2 earthquake shook our nation to its core. It's been a lot. But we have hope. We have hope because we have Christ. We have hope because we have people like you praying for us. In 2010, we had an earthquake that left a lot of issues unresolved for our Chichedi families. 
Many of them were trapped under buildings. Some of our students were rescued three, four days after the earthquake. They've never had professional counseling. The support that you've provided will allow us to hire professional counselors to help with our students. We will also be helping 16 of our TJD families coming from the south whose homes are completely damaged in the earthquake. Many of them, they live in Port-au-Prince, but their homes are completely gone through the earthquake. Thank you so much. Please continue to keep us in your prayers. And I'm grateful to have a community of believers like you praying for us. Thank you from the bottom of my heart. So, yeah. So Maquette is an amazing leader, and uh, it's just so great for us to be connected to folks that we know when we have an outpouring of generosity that those funds are going to be stewarded well, people are going to be helped, lives are going to be transformed. And so thank you so much for your generosity. And if you want to give us an act of worship day, whether it's to the uh, Relief Fund for Haiti or the Afghan Relief Fund, or, or just to support just the awesome ministry here at Fairfax Community Church. You can do that in a number of ways. Um, if you're online, there's a little button there that says give, and you can click that and start the process. There's offering boxes in the back of the sanctuary. You can give through those. Uh, you can give online. You can text to give. Lots of different ways that you can do that. So thank you for, um, thank you for your generosity. It's just been an amazing outpouring of uh, grace. Um, the other thing I just want to say before I launch into the message is uh, thank you also for last weekend. It was really special uh, celebrating uh, Don and I's 35th anniversary here as pastors of this congregation. And uh, you got the way that the many different expressions of, uh, of grace and love that you showed, uh, cards that you wrote, and uh, videos that you did. And I got to see some of the videos that didn't make it onto the screen, and they were awesome as well and funny. We have some really funny folks in our congregation, and uh, just uh, email, social media, all the different kinds of ways that you... It's just been an outpouring of uh, love and very, very humbling to both Donna and I, and we're just really, really... Uh, thankful for it, and look forward to what God has uh, in store for us moving forward. Okay, so we're in the second week of this Exodus series called Journey to Freedom, and as I mentioned last week, the book of Exodus, second book in the Bible, is all about freedom. It's all about being set free from anything, anyone, anything that keeps us from experiencing the life that God has created us to live. At its core, that's what slavery is. At its core, that's what bondage is. Whether it's, it's imposed bondage, whether it's imposed slavery by, by other human beings, or whether it's the kind of slavery we put ourselves in because of the decisions we make. You know, sometimes we separate those who go, oh, well, then there's this physical kind of slavery and then there's spiritual kind of slavery. No, the reality is that slavery is slavery, and slavery is evil, and slavery keeps us from experiencing the life that God has set us free to live. And what Exodus is all about is about being set free to live the life that God creates to live. I mentioned last week that when Moses, in this scene that we're gonna talk about, I think next week actually, in this scene where Moses goes to Pharaoh and says, let my people go, he doesn't just say let my people go, he says, let my people go that they might worship me, that they might be set free to worship the one who has created them, has a plan for them, a design for their lives. 
Now, that's what we're gonna talk about uh, next week, but this week, uh, we're gonna talk about kind of the things that happen leading up to that. Um, part of God, as I mentioned last week, part of God redeeming all of these horrible atrocities that happen to the Israelites, and there's all, I mean, there's no other way to call it other than evil, is, is Moses, you know, God kind of redeems everything, and Moses, one of the things that he does in his redeeming work in this is Moses grows up in Pharaoh's household, and in Pharaoh's household, he's trained, equipped, mentored, uh, trained to be a great general, a great leader, all of that, but then he takes all of that, and he, he blows it, he messes all that up by, in a fit of anger, killing this, this man, and when he gets to this point where he's killed this person, he's made this stupid decision, uh, he feels like uh, everything is done. He flees into the desert. He feels like his life is basically over. Not his physical life is over, but he just feels like, I I'm not gonna be able to live out the plan that God has for my life. And he just kind of feels like his life is over. And some of you have probably kind of gotten to that point in your life. Maybe you're at that point now where you, have squandered away some incredible things that God has entrusted to your care by making some really stupid decisions, and you've gotten to the point like Moses where you feel like your life is over. It's not like your life is physically over. You just feel like, oh, I can never make a difference. Um, and as I was talking about my prayer, it's just like, okay, maybe, maybe I can have plan B, God's plan B, God's plan C. No, no, no. Like, God doesn't have a plan B for any of us. He doesn't have a plan C for it. Like, from the point where we are, given the realities of our life, God's plan for us is always plan A. That God always has the best plan for us, weaving all of the experiences of our life into that to experience his plan A. And you see that with Moses' life. Moses' life is not over. God has a plan for his life. He's gonna use all of his experiences, the good experiences, the bad experiences, to live out, to do something really significant, to do something that changes the world. And it all starts, interestingly enough, it all starts when Moses is at his lowest point. So Moses is in the desert. He's fled Egypt. He's fled kind of uh, his people turning their backs on him because of his failures, all of that. He's fled all that. And this is how Exodus 3 starts. We're gonna look at Exodus 3 and 4 today. It says, now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the desert, came to Mount Horeb, the mountain of God. And then the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. And Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it didn't burn up, weird sight. So Moses thought, okay, I'm gonna check this out. I'm gonna go over, I'm gonna see this strange sight, why this bush that's on fire is not burning up. So Moses has gotten married. He's ended up being uh, tending the sheep for his father-in-law. He's ended up working for his father-in-law. Now, Jethro was awesome and all of that, but probably not what Moses had in mind when he kind of was thinking about his change the world life and all that, was working for his father-in-law, maybe not the life that he had envisioned for himself. But he's tending sheep, and as he's tending sheep, he sees this strange sight. He sees this bush that's burning, but it's not consumed, it never burns up. And so basically he says, this is weird. Like this is not the way things typically are, so I'm gonna check this out. And when he gets over to this burning bush, something else happens that changes the trajectory of his life. And this is what we're told, verse four. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, 
God called him from within the bush, Moses, Moses, and Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals for the place where you're standing is holy ground. And then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And at this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. Now, there's two things about this initial encounter that, that Moses has with God that I want you to notice. First of all, I want you to notice that Moses does not go in pursuit of God and then finds him at this burning bush. Like Moses is not in pursuit of anything. Moses is just tending this sheep. He thinks his life is basically over. Uh, and all he does is he just goes and checks out this weird thing that he sees uh, that doesn't make sense and God meets him there. Like he does not go in pursuit of God. What you come to understand is that God is in pursuit of him. Moses wasn't searching for God. Moses thought his life was over. He, he was basically done with God. He thought God was done with him. I think sometimes we get to that point that, that we're done with God. Maybe you've gotten to that point in your life. I'm done with God. I'm done with all this. I'm pretty sure God is done with me. Like he, that's where he was. I'm done with God. God is probably done with me. And it's not that Moses was in pursuit of God. He was not in pursuit of God. God was in pursuit of him. So Moses is out in the desert. He's completely surrounded by, you know, all of these sheep that he's tending. He, he feels like God is a million miles away, and God shows up. Not because he's pursuing him, God just shows up a few feet away in the form of this burning bush. And that's the way God works, right? He's always looking for ways to show up in our lives. And that's an important reminder for us because whenever you do, like we do these things, that we think are our attempt to pursue God, right? And, and, and so, let, you know, we, we show up at church. We, have, we haven't gone to church in a long time. We say, oh, I'm gonna go to church. I need to, need to change some things in my life. Or we start attending for the first time or, or um, we get into a small group or we begin reading our Bible or we begin praying. We have a quiet time. Oh, whatever it is, there's a sense of, okay, I'm gonna go in this pursuit of God and, and, and try to discover like who he is and what he wants to like all about. Like we tend to think that we are pursuing, but that's not you deciding to pursue God. That's just you responding to this God who never stops pursuing you. This God who is always like showing up like a foot away, right? This God that pursues you into the desert, this God who never gives up on you, this God who still has a plan for your life. Like Moses, do not think that Moses was pursuing God and he found him. No, God was pursuing Moses. All Moses does is just go, that's weird. I'm gonna check it out. And then God, everything kind of unfolds from there. That's the first thing. Second thing I want you to notice is that in God's pursuit of us, God always disturbs us in some way. God uses something to get our attention. For Moses, it was a, a burning bush that never burned up, and that was disturbing to Moses. It didn't fit into Moses' view of reality. That's not what happens when a 
a bush in the desert gets on fire, it doesn't keep burning. In fact, in the desert, because of how dry everything is, if a bush catches on fire, it just kind of explodes. It's just like poof, it's just gone. And Moses looks at this bush that's on fire and he goes, this does not make sense. Like this is weird. This is disturbing. This doesn't fit my view, my worldview of like what should happen in this situation. And the same is true with the burning bushes we experience. Like they're disturbing. They, they don't fit this nice little framework that we've created about how God works or how the world works or, or how, who we are or how we function or what we can do or not do or what we have the capacity to do or not do. Like it just... It doesn't fit that framework. Sometimes the burning bush is like something big and flashy, right? Something too big to ignore. It's like God healing you in a, in a way that, um, that you never imagined that he could heal you. And it's just this burning bush. It's just this kind of thing that is like, oh my goodness, what is happening here? Or God does some miraculous thing in your Life And it's just like, what is happening here? It doesn't fit into the framework. And, and we've got, man, we've got, just today, I just was reminded on several occasions today of all the miraculous things that God is doing in our church and in people's lives. Can we just celebrate that for a second? Just, just unbelievable stuff, burning bush kind of stuff, stuff that gets our attention and in some ways is, disturbing because it doesn't fit into the framework maybe that we had. So sometimes the burning bush is big, sometimes it's spectacular, sometimes it's like something that you can't ignore, but sometimes the burning bush is something more subtle, right? God disturbs us with something else. God disturbs us with a, a sermon that we hear, or God disturbs us with a, a conversation that we have with someone, or God disturbs us with a book that we read or God disturbs us with an experience that we go through or God disturbs us with some really rough stuff that goes on in our life that we didn't see coming and God like disturbs us with that and kind of gets our attention with that even stuff that that he doesn't cause like whatever it is like it grabs our attention and like Moses like we want to we want to like figure that out we want to check that out we want to see what is that all about. Now, as Moses checks out this burning bush, God begins to speak to him. And basically, God says two things to him. First, he's, God says, Moses, I want you to take off your sandals because you're standing on holy ground. This is holy ground where you are. So I want you to take off your sandals. And that's what Moses does. He takes off his sandal. He hides his face in response to being in the intimate presence of the holy God. I knew a pastor uh, in our denomination, uh, who never preached with his shoes on. And the reason he never preached with his shoes on is because of this story. And, 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 it, and it, it was good rationale, you know, like nothing theologically wrong with it. He just said, okay, the pulpit, it's holy ground, and God told Moses to take his sandals off, and so I'm going to take my sandals off. I'm going to take my shoes off when I preach. So every time I preach, I'm never, ever going to preach without taking my shoes off. And that was awesome. Like, symbolic, um, great, pointed to this, like all of that. But I think at some level, it kind of missed the point of what is happening 
in this narrative because taking off your shoes is not just about taking off your shoes. Like taking off your shoes is about recognizing the sacredness of moments where God is at work in your life and God is not just at work in the sanctuary when we come into this space. God is at work in all kinds of places and I I think this guy and I love this guy and it's awesome and all of that but I like God I don't think he took his shoes off every day as all the things that God was doing. I think it was kind of limited to this but Taking your shoes off is about recognizing the sacredness of moments where God is at work. Taking your shoes off is about paying attention. Taking off your shoes is about being willing to pause in the midst of the craziness of life, the busyness of life, and all of that, and humble yourself in the presence of a holy God. For a shepherd, if they took off their sandals, it actually meant that they had stopped working. A a, a shepherd could not work without their sandals on because the, the, the ground that they were walking on, the terrain that they were walking on, it could rip their feet up. It could cause all kind of damage. So when a shepherd was working, a shepherd always had their sandals on. So for a shepherd, which Moses was at this point, for a shepherd to take his sandals off is to say, I'm going to pause I'm gonna stop working, I'm gonna stop performing, I'm gonna stop doing, I'm gonna stop accomplishing, and I'm going to to take this moment in. When was the last time that you took off your shoes because you knew that you were standing on holy ground? Like, when was the last time that you Stop doing, stop performing, stopped accomplishing long enough to experience the presence of God. Like, don't get so busy. Like, this is the thing that we struggle with, I think, in Northern Virginia. Is like, don't get so busy that in doing, that you miss the sacredness of the moment. That you get so busy and preoccupied with doing. Like sometimes even when we come into this place, like I know, some of you right now are like, um, you know, maybe uh, thinking about other things, dealing with other things, maybe even fixing some problems that are going out there. I don't know. But like, like don't get so busy that you miss the sacredness of them, that you miss the sacredness of worship that you miss the sacredness of a person entering into the baptismal pool and declaring that they have been raised to life in Christ. That you miss the sacredness of being able to walk with a brother or a sister who is going through a really, really difficult time and the sacredness of being able to walk through that time with them. Don't miss the sacredness of the moment, the sacredness of opening your heart to God in prayer, the sacredness of opening up God's word and reading it, the sacredness. So take off your shoes. Pause for a moment. Take in the sacredness, the holiness of God in those moments. But here's the deal. 
taking off your shoes is never just about us having this little moment with God. Like when you read through the narrative of scripture, that God always calls us into these intimate, holy, take off your shoes kind of moments. He always calls us in so that he can send us out. And you see that throughout scripture is that God is always calling people in, not just to call them in. He's not just calling them in so you say, well, let's just have this moment together and then we'll have another moment together later. No, he calls us in always to send us out. That's the thing that's interesting about this story is that when, when he calls Moses in, right, like he's this burning bush, it gets his attention, it brings him in, there's this moment, there's this sacredness, he takes off his sandals, and God does not say to Moses, this may be the most important thing in the text, God does not say to Moses, this is awesome, this is a really special moment, let's come back here next week and do the exact same thing. Like, let's come back, I'll be in the burning bush, it'll be cool, you'll take off your sandals and all that. No, it's a sacred moment. He calls Moses in, but he calls Moses in to do this, to send him out. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I've heard them crying out because of their slave drivers. I'm concerned about their suffering. So I've come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians to make to bring them up out of the land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now, so now, Moses, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. I have drawn you in to this sacred moment where you take off your sandals because of the holiness of God, but I have drawn you in so that I might send you out. Now, the circumstances around Moses' calling and what God calls him to do are pretty spectacular, right? Uh, a bush that is on fire that never burns up, pretty spectac spectacular. Being called to lead a whole nation out of slavery, uh, pretty spectacular. And that's why sometimes we read stories like this and we say, well, that was Moses. Like, that's awesome. That was Moses. God called Moses because he had something spectacular for him to do. He called Moses uh, because what he had called him to do really mattered. It changed the world. It set the context for the Messiah to come into the world, to bring the plan of redemption into this world. It set a whole nation free. Right. He called Moses, but God's never going to do anything huge like that with my life. So I'm not even sure God wants to bother with calling me, like callings, like being called, that's like for super spiritual people, right? Like that's for the people that are up front, the people that you notice, the things that you see, like that's the people that God calls. And that's probably the reason that the Apostle Paul, when he was writing to this new church that he had started in Corinth, starts his letter, his first letter to them with these words. Paul says, brothers, think of what you were when you were called, talking to the whole church. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many of you were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. 
God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of this world, the despised things, the things that are, that are not, to nullify the things that are. You see what Paul's saying there? First of all, he's saying every single one of you is called. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, he has called you. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, he has called, you've been called by God to advance the kingdom, to make a difference in this world. There are no consumers in the church, in the, in the kingdom. Like everyone is called to be a part of advancing the kingdom. Secondly, he's saying what you are called to do has nothing to do really with you. Like it's not about how smart you are, how influential you are, what levers you have to pull, how much money you have, how gifted you are, how strong you are, what other people think of you, whether they think that you're someone that's called, like, like it doesn't matter. None of that matters. Why? Because Paul is saying it's not about you, it's about God. So stop focusing on what you don't have. Stop focusing on what you can't do. Stop focusing on your limitations because Again, God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise, the weak things of the world to shame the strong, the lowly things of the world, the despised things to nullify the things that are. Now, Moses doesn't really get this. I guess he hasn't read 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 1 yet, right? Uh, he doesn't really get this. He, 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 he's still convinced that he's not the one, God's not calling him, God's not the wrong, all of that. And this is what Moses says. But Moses said to God, still in chapter three, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And there's this really cool section we don't have time to deal with, but um, you know, God basically says, it's not about who you are, it's about who I am. Tell them I am sent you, the God of Abraham, the God of Moses, like that's what it's all about. But then um, Moses still is not convinced, and so God gives Moses a couple signs, and that's when you go into chapter four, you see these signs that he gives him. He tells, he tells Moses to uh, take his shepherd's staff and uh, throw it down on the ground, and uh, when he throws it down on the ground, it turns into a snake. And then God says, I want you to pick up the snake by the tail. And uh, I, don't, I don't handle snakes, uh, it's not kind of my profession, but I, I do have a sense that picking up a snake by the tail is not the way that you do it. And, uh, but he tells Moses, I want you to pick up the snake, I want you to pick it up by the tail. When he picks up the snake by the tail, it turns back in to the staff. And, and it's this sign, this symbol. God, you know, Moses, I'm at work. I, I, it's my power, I'm gonna be at work through you. And then he tells Moses, take his hand, put it into his cloak, and when he pulls his hand out, his hand is all leprous. And then he tells him to, to put it back into his cloak, and when he pulls it back out, again, the hand is healed. And it's, it's God giving all of these signs to Moses. They're like, Moses, I got this. Like, I got this, and because I got this, you got this. And I'm gonna go with you, and, 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 uh, and I'm gonna provide the miraculous, I'm gonna be at work, all of that. Now, you would think, right, you would think that all of these signs would convince Moses, but they don't. And, and I just say, this isn't like really a preaching point, but I just thought of it, and, and uh, that is that, you know, sometimes we, like when God calls us to do something, um, we're like, and we're not sure, it's like we're always looking for a sign. Like, just give me a sign, you know? And then like God sometimes gives us a sign and then it's like, 
can you give me another sign? And uh, then he gives another sign. It's just like, and here's the thing is that like when being in the yes position to what God has called you to do is not about God just giving you signs and the signs will so convince you that it says like, oh, okay, I'm gonna do that. No, you have to take a step of faith. Like the sign, you, you cannot be signed in to like living out your calling. And that was certainly true with Moses. He gets these miraculous signs, incredible stuff. God's talking to him through a bush. Like if you need a sign, I would think that would be a pretty good sign. The next time God does that with you, you'll probably be convinced, right? But all of these signs, they don't convince him. Even after all these things, Moses just keeps making excuses for why he's not the person, why he's not the one that should be doing this, so this is what happens next. We're in chapter four, verse 10. Moses said to the Lord, oh Lord, I have never been eloquent, never in the past, nor since you've spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. Now this is Moses' final play. And this is usually our final play as well. This is his final play. It's like, God, um, I'm not equipped. Like, I'm not equipped. Like, you need a good communicator to do this. I'm not a really good communicator. My words aren't eloquent. I stutter when I speak. In other words, he's saying, God, I think you've got the wrong person here. I think you've made a mistake. God, I don't think you've done your homework. I, I think if you had checked my resume, I think if you had checked my references, especially back in Egypt, like if you checked the references, if you checked my resume, that you would know like I'm not the right person for this. Now, it's interesting how God responds to this. Look at, look at how God responds. And we're gonna kind of, I wanna read the whole section and we'll kind of unpack it. The Lord says to Moses, first of all, he says, who gave you your mouth? Who gave man his mouth? Who makes him deaf or mute? Who gives him sight or makes him blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I, I will help you speak. I will teach you what to say. But Moses says, oh Lord, uh, please, just not me, just send someone else to do this. And then the Lord's anger burned against Moses. We're gonna talk about that. And he said, what about you? This is God now speaking to Moses. What about your brother Aaron, the Levite? I know that he can speak well. Uh, he's already on his way to meet you. His heart will be glad when he sees you. You shall speak to him and put words in his mouth and I will help both of you speak and will teach you what to do. And he will speak to the people for you, and it will be as if he were your mouth and as if you were God to him. But take this staff in your hand so that you can perform miraculous signs with it. So first of all, God says to Moses, Moses, you know, Moses is telling God about all of his weaknesses. And first of all, God says to Moses, Moses, do you not think I know about your weaknesses? Like, I'm the God who created you. Like no one knows your weaknesses better than I know your weaknesses. But Moses, what you see as weaknesses, he's saying, I see as opportunities for me to work. So don't focus on your weaknesses, focus on me. It, it, it's, that's such an important point, I think. It's so easy for us to focus on our weaknesses because we are so in touch with our weaknesses, all of us. 
we are so in touch with our weaknesses, our failures, our struggles, whatever it is, like we are so in touch. And that doesn't just change. Like we never grow out of that. We never get to a point where it's just like, oh, I don't even think about my weak. No, no, no. Like we are so aware of our weaknesses. In fact, sometimes it's the only thing we can see. Sometimes when God is calling us to do so, the only thing we can see is our weaknesses, which is why if we're gonna live out God's calling in our lives, our view of God has to become bigger than the view of our weaknesses because our weaknesses are never just going to magically go away. It's not that we don't grow. It's not that we don't experience God's sanctifying work in our life. But it's like if you think that you will get to a point in your life where all of your weaknesses are gone, like that is not going to happen. They're not just going to magically go away. And if we allow them to keep us from living out our calling, it's not because our weaknesses are so big. It's because our view of God is too small. And I just, want to, I just want you to sit with that for a moment of how often, like we tend to think, oh, we look at our weakness and we think it's not about our weaknesses being too big, it's about our view of God being too small. Now, in spite of everything that God has said now, Moses continues to plead and, and pleads with him to send someone else. And we're told now God gets ticked off. Like God, he's been patient, uh, but now he gets ticked off. He gets angry. And, and here's what I just want to say about that. It's not that he is angry that Moses won't do this because somehow this will mean that God cannot accomplish his mission in the world. Like he's not angry because he's saying, Moses, like I can't do this without you. Like the whole future of the redeeming work of God in the world hinges on you. And if you say no, I'm toast. That is not why God is angry. God can do whatever he wants with whoever he wants. And if it's not Rod Stafford, because Rod Stafford's in the no position to him, he's gonna get it done however and with whoever. He's not mad at Moses because Moses is messing up his plan. He's angry, he's angry because God always gets angry when he sees someone wasting their lives because they're so consumed by their inadequacies. Like that's what angers God, is us being so consumed by our inadequacy that we are not set free to live out the calling that God has on our lives. But God doesn't give up on Moses, even in spite of all this, even getting angry and all that, he, he continues to kind of work with him. And he says, Moses, what if I put you on a team? That's pretty cool. What if I put you on a team? Your brother Aaron's a great communicator. You two would actually make a great team. Uh, there's things that you do better than he does. There's things that he does better than you do. I'll work with both of you as a team to accomplish the mission. And I want you to see what's happening here. It's not that the mission is changing. It's not that Moses' calling is changing. It's not that he has... Uh, excused himself, given enough excuses that he doesn't have to live out his calling. No, the calling hasn't changed. All that's changed is the way he lives out 
that calling. He lives it out in partnership with someone else. It's a, it's a great reminder that God's calling on our lives is not something that is separate from God's calling on the lives of others. Here's the problem sometimes. When, it comes, when we start talking about our calling, my calling, is that sometimes we become so individualistic in the way that we talk about that and the way that we live that out. It's like, doesn't matter about your calling, your calling, your calling, your calling. This is about my calling. This is about my doing the thing God's called me to do, however it impacts all the other people around. No, like our callings are not like just these individualistic things, like in the body, and we could spend a whole message on this, in the body, in the church, God takes all of our callings, no matter how big it seems the calling is, no matter how small it seems, no matter what it seems like it's insignificant, no matter what it is, God takes all of our callings and he, he puts them together, all of our callings. He puts them together in a way that creates this beautiful mosaic. All of us, no matter what God has called us to do, whether it seems like something big and people notice and it gets the applause of people, or whether it's something that's more behind the scenes and it's just the applause of God. All of us, no matter what we have been called to do, all of us are just this broken piece of glass that God places into this beautiful kingdom mosaic and uses it to bring heaven to earth. That's what we are. That's our calling. It's just being willing to be this little broken piece of glass that God is able to use along with all of these other broken pieces of glass to bring heaven to earth. So we're ending the service today with baptisms, right? And I just want to remind you that when a person gets baptized, that, you know, on the t-shirts uh, that we have right now, it just says raised to life in Christ. And that's our mission as a church. Love people, just see them raised to life in Christ. But when a person gets baptized, it's not just declaring that they're raised to life in Christ. It's also declaring that they have been set free to live out their calling. They've been set free to live out the mission that God has for their lives. And that's why we celebrate. Not just that we've gotten our ticket punched for heaven, but that we've been set free by what Christ has done for us on the cross to live out his divine calling in our lives. So here's what we're gonna do. In a minute, band's gonna come out and we're gonna sing. And um, everyone who... Everyone who is getting baptized while we're singing can make their way out into the lobby and 
folks will guide you and where to stand and all of that. And family, friends, uh, we, we, the baptisms will be on the screen. You'll see them if you've never been a part of this before. Uh, it's awesome, and you'll get to see everyone being baptized. But if you're, you know, a family member, a close friend, whatever, and you want to be out in the lobby, you can make your way out at that time in the lobby. Those of you that God has been tapping on the shoulder saying, you know, today's the day, today's the day. Um, you know, bear witness to what I've done in your life. Um, just again, just make your way out into the lobby and uh, we're just gonna celebrate. We're just going to, we're gonna party and celebrate what God is doing in the lives of people in our church. God, I just, in this moment, this is what I, this is what I pray for. I pray that for every person that's being baptized, I pray that they will sense fully what it means to be raised to life in Christ and to be set free to live out the calling that you have for them. I pray for all of us who watch this, that it is a time of unbelievable celebration as we are reminded of your transforming work in our lives. I pray for those that even in this moment are sensing the calling of your spirit to, to say yes to you and, and to say yes to being baptized, Lord. I just, I pray for all of them. And Lord, I pray that whatever it is for any of us that is keeping us enslaved and keeping us from living out our calling, whether it's fear, whether it's doubt, whatever it is, Lord, that you would set us free. Your spirit would set us free from that. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen. Would you stand together?